Testing one, two, testing one, two. Can we get a bit of background from you there, James? Bing dong, bing bong. Bing bong, room. Here's one, some two, testing, one, testing. One, two. One, two, three. Unruly software. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, here I am. Ooh, Ooh fuck. <laughs> Gotta be careful with the beer on the uh, podcast, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that can be the intro. <laughs> Wait, are we in? Uh, yeah, we've been recording the whole time. Are you serious? Uh, wait, from when? Quite some time ago. Oh, right. Did you get the burp in? I will edit that out later. Oh, that's good. Thank you so much. We don't edit anything here, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the rawest tech podcast that you can sign up for. Unruly Tech. We're back, people. We're, we're back in the, the business. Unruly Software, I think we're called, not Unruly Tech. Oh, that's right. No, don't confuse people. It'd be negative for our SEO. And they wouldn't know which Discord server to go to because we've got one now. We do. Someone set that up. That's not me. Well, the fans have been asking for it. That's true. We've got to give the fans, we've got to give our listeners what they want. At HTTPS colon slash slash www. Link will be in the bio. Insert link here. Please edit that in over the top of this, Frank. But this is the most agile podcast, I think, in Sydney at the moment. Yeah, we started with uh, a, a Yeti in the middle of my living room. Yeah, people will be up, able to actually hear us on this podcast today. We've got uh, a great setup now. It is. I bought uh, this ludicrous looking mic. It looks like it's a space vehicle. <laughs> what it, is it? What did you buy? I bought the uh, Rode Procaster, mm. which is, uh, <clears throat> I think it was about $200. There's a throat clear. I'm so sorry. I'm, it's an agile podcast, so I'm learning as I go. Uh, this is episode 105 now, our best one yet. I think it is 105, yeah. Our 101st, 5th. How do you say 5th? 5th, yeah. that's how you say it. Episode. So we've, got, we've both got the proper podcasting microphones now. We also got um, this board, which is what's actually the, probably the best thing for our audio quality. The Rode Class A servo-biased preamps Aphex on board. Actually, I don't know what this thing's called. I think it's called the Roadcaster Pro. That's it, the Roadcaster Pro. Yeah, I'm just reading it off the box. It's not the servo biased. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what any of those words mean, but they do make it look cool. So when we first started, we were putting our audio straight into Ableton Live and then we were trying to edit the audio afterwards. No, that's, that that's not even correct. It was, <laughs> I was recording an Audacity on Arch Oh, Linux, that's right, yeah. Which is... Uh, not the ideal scenario. And then uh, I was exporting to MP4 yep. and then... I was importing it into Ableton. Not MP4, but whatever it was. Wave yeah. file. Wav, yep. yeah. And then I was sending it over and you were having to warp it because our mics were at different speeds yep. and everything. So yep. it was very difficult to get started. Yeah, but um, we don't have that problem now. No, we can just sit down anytime, hit the power button and literally talk about nothing that matters for an hour. <laughs> That's what, that's like the rest our, of this that's podcast. Our, that's our winning formula. We're going to do that it's every time. It's our tagline. <laughs> Even if we do have good equipment, we're going to be doing that. But we're going to get some video equipment coming too, I think, soon. That's what I've been told. Yeah, I heard that. We're agile in life now. So. Well, we, we approach everything that we do in an agile methodology, whether it be Except software for software. <laughs> <laughs> Straight waterfall. We mate. do waterfall. <laughs> the product we're working on now, we essentially planned at the beginning, but we're still going through with the plan. It will be done when it's done. <laughs> However, podcast, super agile. We use as many hosted services as possible. We've abstracted everything. We don't, so we're not doing any audio manipulation now. It's raw straight in. We don't do any editing. Yeah. We don't do any 
serving, we just upload this all to- Straight on. To uh, Fireside. Fireside.fm, yeah. They're not a sponsor. Don't go to them unless uh, <laughs> they decide to sponsor us, please. Thank you. So what's next? The video's coming up. Discord We've, server two now. So the other the thing, people, if you get onto Fireside, check the link. We're going to be on Discord all the time. So anyone right. who wants to chat with us on Discord, are we going to be on there all the time? I don't know. How, I think how we, we have to now. You've sort of committed oh, just then. Because we need to start streaming this live. So this is all, people are going to be hearing this. Direct. Like this is going to be a delayed podcast for people. So when we start streaming it live, people can hop onto the Discord server and we can, they can talk, they can be part of the show. Yeah. And then we can talk shit like on Twitch. What's the streaming platform? Of yeah, it's, Twitch is coming up soon. Mm. Yeah. So big things in the pipeline. I know you guys want to always hear about what's in our pipeline. Yes. Our Jenkins pipelines, they're running very smoothly. Only 50% build failure. We're going very well. <laughs> How is the, uh, how's our custom, our custom build server going? <laughs> Uh, for background, we, we started using GitHub Actions for our uh, CI and CD processes here because it was the most agile uh, way to do it because we were already on GitHub. Might as well use their service. Yep. Um, we ended up running out of minutes, though. They give you 1,000 free, which is like that's free money, essentially. But then yep. we ran out of that because we just pushed so much code. It's like when your parents give you money and you just spend it because you didn't have to work for it. Yeah. So they gave us all these minutes of workers. And then I wasn't restricting anything. I was pushing every commit was straight up and then it was you're, getting its test you're run. You building a, all our copy chains and everything. Oh, was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, luckily uh, I have a server that um, is sitting in my brother's house right now, actually. Yep. And yep. It, it's, it, so you can build a custom GitHub runner quite easily. Okay. It's just a Docker file that has an API key yep. for GitHub. And then you can point it at your organization and quite easily you can get unlimited build time as long as you have a server running straight into GitHub. It's probably the easiest setup that I've done for a build system, way easier than setting up Jenkins or anything. So when we push our code to GitHub and it runs the action, what, yeah. what actually happens? Does it run it on the server that you have running? So on the server uh, that I have running, it is a VM, I think it's, I don't remember the operating system, yep. probably Ubuntu, mm. um, but it runs Docker containers. There's six Docker containers that are running mm. all, all the time yep. called GitHub runner main, secondary, tertiary. Then I ran out of like Aries. So I just called it strawberry, banana, <laughs> uh, The fruit of GitHub runners. <laughs> yeah. So, so all seven of them have unique names. <laughs> and then each of those little special creatures uh, will get that task definition and it will attempt to execute it. Okay. So... Uh, I've all, one of the benefits of this is that the builds are actually way faster on the custom runners as well because we use Puppeteer and Chromium to run our tests, our end-to-end -end tests, like in the browser yep. to validate the front end. Um, with this, the Docker image already has Chromium and everything installed. So the actual time to execute has reduced dramatically because oh. you don't have to download the big binary every time, whereas on ah, GitHub you do. Yes, yes. It does mean that I've had to build the tests to be much more resilient. Um, every port has to be dynamic. It has to check, is it available before it binds to, like for Postgres, for example, it, it picks a dynamic port to be assigned to because I have to use host networking, uh, unfortunately, for the GitHub Actions runners. Um, 
there's two two modes, which is like you can have the Docker containers in an isolated network separately, or they can use the actual machine's network. I have to use host, which means that all of the ports for every service has to be random when I start them. Yeah. Yep. Where's the physical box? It's in my brother's office. It's like this cool looking gaming machine. <laughs> He'll be on the podcast in probably a couple episodes. Yeah. He's agreed to an interview. That's good. Yeah. I'll be keen to get him on. Yeah. He's a big red hat Red Hat boy? Do yep. they call them that? Red Hat boys? Well, well it's, uh, it's unisex, right? Or anything. They're just Red Hatters. Red Hatters. Yeah. Yes. Like a Mad Hatter. Yes. Yeah. I can't say Hatter correctly. That We're going to have weird. a lot to talk about with him because of all the open source stuff. But before we go to the open so- source stuff, yeah, because that's big this week, we need to talk about that. But um, if, the, if the physical box like needs a reboot, do you just like ring your brother up and be like, hey, John... Uh, Something's wrong. Can well, the nice thing about uh, Linux is that you never have to reboot. There's Linux machines running that have been running probably for 15 years. You reckon it'll never... What if like he's, one of his kids like unplugs it by accident or something? Well, then we're fucked. But <laughs> I'm just trusting him not to do that. Please, John. Thank you so much. Just put a post-it note on there, John, and put do not turn off <laughs> yeah, on never the power turn off button. Power. <laughs> it, but, um, you know, it's a virtual machine, so I do have access to the... So, so, okay, so the architecture is essentially there is a, a desktop that is a very powerful machine. Uh, underneath that, we have a virtual machine. And then on that virtual machine are a heap of Docker containers running these GitHub Actions runners. Yep. So uh, if I need to restart the containers, which is the only thing that I've had to do, for example, if I write, if, I, if I'm not cleaning up properly after the tests, then I have to manually reboot them, but I have a little script that automatically SSHs in. Automate script. everything. Absolutely. That's, that's a tagline of another podcast, I'm pretty sure. Is Automate it? everything. Is it really? For sure. Yeah, you don't, there must be. I'm sure there's lots of automation podcasts, but I'm, are they exci- as exciting no, as this? definitely not. You heard it here first, everyone. Automate everything. This is the other tagline for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting renowned for stealing our podcast taglines from other people, so I'm fine with that too. Just do it. Just do you it. You heard it here first. <laughs> What's Gary Vaynerchuk's tagline? Can we steal his? I like uh, whatever it is he does. I don't know. What is his? Live dangerously, know. probably. I don't know. I don't know. But look, over the, over the course of our podcast, we're going to get our own one, I'm sure. We're famous for our intros now. <laughs> our horrific intros. Uh, we're not the most organized with this podcast. It's sort of, this is actually, it's very interesting. This is actually how we talk normally. Which actually is probably carries through. <laughs> it's why it's so low quality. Which is why our startup is not off the ground yet. Because <laughs> we, we mostly just talk like this. But it's on the way. We're, we're working towards it. We've only got probably a week before we get a real person on the, on the app. Definitely. Which super, is very exciting. Super close. Yeah. Well, we, we were testing it today. We were. We were doing end-to-end, you know, just noticing, uh, you know, a couple bugs. Little ones. Little, little not, bugs. They're not major ones. They're more like uh, spans being too wide. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah, little, little improvements that we can make. But we're always going to get little improvements all little, the time. Little happy mistakes, I call them. <laughs> yeah. I've never called them that, actually. I just came up with that. But when you find those little ones, the motivation is high to fix them now because you know you're so close. You can see the finish line. So it's, yeah. it's not hard work. You, don't you have, can fix most grind. of these things quite quickly. Yeah. But... Um, our end-to-end testing story hadn't been that strong previously. But it is now. Yeah. So I've spent, I think I spent like a day or two days, no, probably two days, 
working on getting Puppeteer and everything running in the Action Runner. Uh, and it's, I think it's a lot better. I, I actually tried to use WebDriver. We started with Cypress mm. and what a, what a headache mm. all of those end-to-end testing tools have been. It's funny you say that because every blog post I've read is like Cypress is the best. Cypress, Cypress, Cypress. Those are written by Not people Cypress who work is on the, the front best, end though. But like definitely, yeah, front end. There's a strong We're full stack following. Though. Full stack or go home. Cypress. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can't go full stack, what are you doing? It just That's a joke, by the way. I don't judge you for being front end. A lot of my friends are front end developers like Frank. <laughs> No, he just talks down to us. No, he doesn't really. <laughs> I only talk down to everyone though, so. Well, you did say before that you wanted to stay out of the front end because that's our, uh, how did you put it? That's our- um, You own that. Our sovereignty. Your, it's your sovereign domain. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's the, the principality of front end. Yeah. Yeah. The state of Frank Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think ownership is very important. I think having uh, full ownership top to bottom would be better, but um, the, the style that I write code in is probably foreign to both of you, which makes it difficult for us to, if we were working on the exact same code base, like in the same position, I think we would have difficulty in lean, the beginning. It would take like two weeks. Lean on each other's strengths. Yeah, it'd take like two weeks for me to get you guys up to speed with the way yeah. that I write tests and the way that I write code. We can definitely do it. It's just, do you want to spend the time? Like, yeah. is that time better spent working on the front end while you just concentrate on the back end stuff? Yeah. Which has worked, I think, pretty well, actually. That's I, good. I, I always have the, uh, the idea that every product will be um, like a month behind schedule, no matter what. Like whatever you promise someone, expect it to be a month later, especially if someone else promises it for you. If the product manager says, we're going to have it by then, it'll be a month after that. So, but this product, actually, we were talking about it today. It seems like we're actually pretty well on schedule. We'd hope to have it in people's hands before, but I think that was... Um, just wishful thinking because we, we hadn't necessarily run into uh, like the usability issues. Yeah. Yet. And we're learning more about it now that we we've got something that's actually usable. We're learning a lot more, a lot faster. We can make these small changes quicker. Whereas before there was a lot of discussions around how things should work. What's the best way to approach certain things. But now we've got that baseline. It's super fast. Yeah. You can put it in front of someone and say like, what do you think about this? Or let's look at this a different way or how we want to do it. Yeah, I wonder if there's a, I'm, I'm always curious. I feel like a lot of the time that we spent in the beginning was just because we were coming into a relatively new stack for all of us. Cause we all came from different companies with different expectations of yep. what we'd be working on. So I, I, I wonder if there's a way to be more agile in the very early stages. The issue is we tried to be more air quotes agile in um, in picking tools and everything. We tried to use Cognito and all yeah. these other hosted tools, but they yeah. just ended up biting us. Literally within a week in, the tools wouldn't do. And we actually evaluated other. I, I evaluated uh, three different hosted auth services. Mm. None of them worked for what our use case was. So it's nice to have full control over everything. We were talking about this today because uh, you used to like Netlify, or you still do, you like Netlify. Lovely segue. We've got that, that topic written on the board. <laughs> it was so smooth. I love how every smooth really segue you now. do, I just ruin it by saying great segue. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, the, host, the hosted versus like build your own stuff. 
Yeah, because I remember about maybe two years ago, someone asked you, how do you like to deploy your apps? And you said, oh, Netlify on the front end and Heroku on the back end. Yeah, whatever is fastest, really. Yeah. But um, I think people think speed in the beginning of a product is the only thing that matters. But it's always going to be fast in the beginning, no matter what you do. You can always get something started fast, but can you maintain that speed? Exactly. Are you going to maintain the health of your products if you pick all hosted services and then you're tied into them and you have no way to refactor them out? And then like you said, when you come across these little edge cases where you need to wrangle certain things in certain ways, sometimes these services, it's not always easy to find the right path. Whereas when you're building your own, a lot of the time someone's been there before you, you can find some kind of reference material to get what you need to get done. Yeah. And luckily all the things that we've done thus far, I've done before. So as long as you've done the task before, it's not really a big deal. So I've built auth before. So yeah, you're keen to build the auth. I was, I, I love building, I love building auth. The, um, yeah, but, uh, Netlify, what, 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 what did I say about Netlify? Oh, Netlify and Heroku is my go-to. Yeah. That was like the, uh, that's the portfolio project. Like if you're doing a portfolio project, Netlify and GitHub are free services. Yep. Get your server up quite quickly uh, and then get your front end quite up, up quite quickly. Yep. Because I see a lot of articles, blog posts coming out now where larger companies are migrating their stack to say like Next.js because they've got a hosted service, I think. Do they? I thought that was a server-side rendering framework. Yeah, but they've got some... Um, I forget what the name of the company is. Zeet, maybe? Zeit, yeah. It's, Zeit? it's a Netlify alternative. Is that Netlify? I don't know. No, anyway, it's, it's not Netlify, but it is like them. The guys who built Next.js have their own hosting platform. And there's a lot of content that comes out at the moment where these large scale, large size companies are migrating onto these hosted services like Netlify or Zeet or whatever they are. And it's just interesting because I was trying to compare it with you today. Like what's the... What's the, the benefit? I don't know if it's marketing spin, like they've obviously got a lot of money behind them, these companies. Is it just they're dominating the, the tech scene with all these articles like showing people migrating across? Is they it just They get influencers maybe. Influ yeah. A lot of the technology is driven by hype, I feel. Yeah. And if you can cut through that, I feel like you get a better experience overall. I don't really want exciting new technologies. Do we use any exciting new technologies? No, we spoke about this before. I don't think we do. The most exciting thing is probably serverless. I get pretty excited about Postgres sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and that Excel spreadsheet with all our passwords saved in it. Wait, what? <laughs> Where do you have that? <laughs> I hope the auditors don't listen to this podcast. It's not going to be all good. With all our customers' credit card details written on a post-it note. Well, how else are we going to bill them, really? So. <laughs> oh, my God. I threw away my girlfriend's credit card today. I didn't tell you. You threw away? Yeah. What, what happened? It was in a bag and I threw it away. Oh, really? It was just in a bag next to the trash can and I was like, oh, I can bend this. <laughs> so I just bend it. <laughs> and apparently it had the pin written on the outside of it. And I had no idea. I hope you've canceled the card, have you? This is the first I'm telling you this, but <laughs> I, I don't know what she's done, but I'd just like to say, Shannon, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was never my intention to hurt you like this. Apologize in advance. Yeah. But uh, the, the marketing hype for um, these tools, there's definitely a lot of hype. But I mean, if it does solve your problem, if you're just putting up a service that is essentially like we were saying before, a form is a service, like you need some input 
and then you need to transform that input and put it, put it somewhere else, then that's fantastic. Mm. Go that direction. Yep. But we're, we're looking at integrating with a lot of external services that I don't, and we need a, a, a particularly high level of security. We need our own networking. I don't think I'm comfortable having, uh, and I, even in terms of regulation, I don't think we can have people's tax details stored on a hosted service like that. Yep. One of the um, issues I had at another company, we were on GCP, we couldn't use any of, we couldn't use 90% of their services because Sydney was still mostly in beta. So there's a lot of rules around privacy where data has to be, or the compute, the computation that uses your users, like PII, personally identifiable information, yeah. needs to be based in Australia. And if you're using a hosted service, finding out whether or not it's hosted uh, yeah, yeah, it is an absolute nightmare. Yeah. I've had long email chains where I have to like tease out of people like, but where are your actual databases? Yeah. And a lot of times I don't think they even know where their databases Probably are because they're using another hosted service, mm. which isn't great for privacy because some, some way or another it's going to end up in, in China. Who knows? <laughs> That's a big, big news, news story. <laughs> Heard it here first. Yeah. Your data is going to China. Well, it definitely is. Uh, They're going to market you more, um, I don't know, everything China sells. So everything. Someone told me a while ago, just uh, submit to the idea that your data is already all out there. Did I say that? No, I can't remember who said it to I me. definitely have said that to a lot of people, <laughs> but I probably got it from you. <laughs> yeah, we've just been repeating it to each other, obviously. We repeat each other sayings quite a bit. It's an interesting dynamic. But uh, let's get back to, we went, we went on a tangent there, but... The big news this week, Elastic. Yes, Elastic versus AWS. Oh my God. The, the, the prize fight of the century. Yeah. What's a prize fight? Is that the right terminology? This is the main event. You know the fighting stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the fighting. <laughs> what happened? Because you, you were the one who, oh no, I told you, I seen a quick little snippet about it and then I just like posted it. I sent it to you. I'm like, oh, look at this. Yeah. And then you were like, oh no, Elastic, that's my favorite logging site. I know, I was so disappointed. You were the first person who brought my attention to it. Uh, so Because I'm on all the hype bandwagons. Like. He's on all of the email like <laughs> chains. I, I can barely find time to brush my teeth in the morning, whereas Frank has time to read all of these email newsletters, go to the gym, and also program a reasonable amount of time. I don't know how it happens, but... Um, Elastic is, uh, they changed their license from an Apache license... Um, to a much more restrictive, it's not an open source license anymore. Um, it's a open source license. Uh, that's, that's, that's what they said. <laughs> the uh, blog title, I have the, the blog post open. It's called Amazon colon, not okay. Why we had to change Elastic licensing. Ah. So Elastic is quite upset. Yep. And in a way it's understandable. Um, Amazon has a service called um, Amazon Elastic service or Amazon Elasticsearch. I don't remember. Like There's yeah. definitely like a trademark issue as well yeah. with it um, because the trademark is not open source. Yeah. But uh, instead of coming up with their own search engine, Amazon just takes an open source project, hosts it, takes all the money away from uh, the Elastic company, yeah. who is, I, I think is, it's hard to, there's not many search engines that are okay on the cheap end. Yeah. Like all of the, the search engines are for large companies. They can afford massive licensing fees or they're, they're 
they're expensive. Yep. But Elastic is good for the small, small guy. Yeah. But anyway, Elastic is upset because Amazon is cutting into their game. They want to sell their hosted uh, Elastic offering. Yep. And AWS also wants to sell a, a hosted Elastic offering. Yep. But AWS does not contribute to the Elastic open source code base. I think they do. They, they do? They, I think they do. I think they open... But Elastic is obviously the main driver behind it. Yeah. All of their... So they actually have full-time developers who yeah. are paid from the sales of their hosted service. That's right. The open source is meant to be... I don't... Obviously, this is philosophy, but I think open source is intended to be and works best when it's more of a, we can all succeed together instead of a, we're open sourcing this to, you know... Um, I, I can't, it's, it's... The issue is when you have, it's the whole idea of hosting it as a service. Because if you're talking implementation, if you think about some other business models, maybe Elastic could make money if they were doing implementations for people. Like they went into businesses, companies, enterprises and set up Elastic for them and charged them a fee to get it up and running. But the issue now is you've got two players competing for the same space, which is the hosted service. Yeah, and AWS is sort of... The, I, I, I was reading about the, um, the way that AWS was hosting Elastic and apparently even the like downloads are coming from Elastic service, like the actual Elastic search um, huh. domain. Yeah. So they're actually using the bandwidth from the Elastic search company yeah. in order to actually serve this product as well, yeah. which seems very gross. Yeah. You can't really stand... Uh, I don't think most people like big companies, so Elastic seems like the upstart... They are the ones changing the license, which is negative. I think it was probably the wrong thing to do. What, uh, so they've changed the license, but AWS now has just forked their own I think version. it's called Open Distro. But the thing is, I think Open Distro came out like a year ago. What's Open Distro? Open Distro for Elastic. Open Distro for Elasticsearch. Here we go. I actually have the, um, the blog post. I think it's about... Uh, I think it's from 2019, but uh, they, they've added like two things on top of it and they've just forked it, like straight forked it hard. Yeah. And then um, they've just that, started serving is that. Is that fully open source? Yeah, this is fully open source. So probably contributors will move across and start contributing to that instead now? Yeah. You think? There's a lot of drama. There's a, like, you can sort of appreciate both sides of the, the argument. Yeah, well, I seen one guy on Twitter and he was so angry because... He made all these contributions to the code base and now he wasn't able to use it. Yeah. Because now it's, yeah, it's proprietary. It's a proprietary license. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want that. There's a couple of companies that have made that mistake. They start off open source thinking they'll be able to support themselves and then they end up having to move towards a proprietary license. But then all of the work that came from other people, you have to get them to agree to it. Uh, you said before, I, I, I didn't read anything about it, but apparently the people who had contributed to Elastic had to sign something. Yeah. So that was that guy who was on Twitter complaining. Um, apparently, before he was allowed to contribute, he had to sign some waiver or agreement to say that all the code, it was obviously in the fine print, probably wasn't entirely clear. Or maybe at the time he thought, oh, it'll be fine. But Either way, he signed something which said that whatever he contributes belongs to them. Yeah. And he's got no rights over it at all. Shit out of luck. Yeah. It's very sad. Uh, it's not a good outcome for anyone, really. No. No one wants more fragmentation. It doesn't help anyone. No. I don't think Elastic's going to get 
heaps of money from this either, really. AWS is going to continue making money all the time, no matter what you do. Yeah. So all, all Elastic startups just pissed everyone off. I think so. <laughs> I, I, I sort of don't like big companies in the first place, so I'm also upset with AWS, but that's more of a, that's more of a me thing. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping like now people have to contribute to one or the other, and then you're going to read documentation that's for one version of Elasticsearch and it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Just going to have to self-host. Host your own version of Elastic, everyone. Just fork it now. Everyone make your own. <laughs> we'll, we'll merge pull requests from everyone onto all of the forks. I think that's probably the best way forward. Everyone can have their own Elasticsearch. That's the best, yep. Yep. And then there can be a title fight for which one is truly the best. Maybe it's like a battle royale of everyone's version of Elastic. The uh, Elasticsearch blog post says the only additions to the license are that you can't use... Uh, the Elastic or Kibana as a service and you may not hack the software to enable paid features without a subscription because Elastic has a proprietary version which has additional features on top of it that they host but Amazon I think was accused by Elastic of essentially implementing the same features using almost the same code oh, yeah. into their open distro version and essentially bypassing their, their paid model yeah. which you know feels bad but mm. you know maybe maybe this isn't how they should be making money well you got shareholders and they want people making money they want to see returns everyone wants to see returns if you've got a function at the end of it if there's not a return it's not a function it's a uh, it's a uh, what's it starts with a p unless it's ruby and you've got implicit return oh Yes, that, that's a lovely thing. <laughs> I do miss that. <laughs> JavaScript returns everywhere. Except in error functions. No, but then the block error function isn't an implicit return. I think when I was learning JavaScript, I got stuck for a week because I didn't realize that curly brackets and round brackets, like curly, curly braces needs a return statement and then parentheses doesn't need a return statement. Yeah. And I was there for about a week trying to debug. I'm like, why is this not? Well, it's an expression versus a statement. So their expression or their statements don't return anything. They're just nothing. I was was nearly in tears. Yeah. I don't know who like explained it to me, but it was, it was life changing. You've got to, um, was this at Coder Academy? It might've been me. Probably. Wouldn't that have been fun? (laughs) I I changed your life, Frank. (laughs) You... uh, I, I, if anyone is struggling with JavaScript competency, the only the best thing I can recommend is uh, Kyle Simpson's books. You don't know JavaScript. Those are the like you recommended that to me very early on in the piece day one. As well. Yeah, that is you're a big fan. Yeah, I, not I, only I, of his code but of his beard as well. I think it's very hard for me to see t- uh, JavaScript and not under like not have a decent grasp of it. Hmm. Like it have to be pretty funky because. There's a lot to the language, but you need to, I, I feel like you have to understand all of it, mm. essentially. Otherwise, you're going to run into errors that just stop the, stop the show. Yeah. It's a tough language. People, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those languages that is very easy to pick up, but then very hard to master, yeah. I think. While you're in that level where you're not too deep on things, it's okay, but as soon as you've got a library that's not playing nice and you've got to dive into it, that's always a bit scary. People are always scared of like node resolution. Well, I think we talked about this before as well. Like it's really important to understand how it's, it's, a, it's also a relatively simple 
model, the way that it runs. Mm. They're all just files. Like node is node modules isn't magic. Yeah. There's like this one interesting uh, article on the node docs that explains like the process that it goes through mm. to resolve modules. And if you understand that, I think you'll Yeah, I've got to read that. You told me last time. I did. Yeah. No one ever it's does anything that I asked. It's on my to-do to list. Yeah. It always goes on the to-do list. And I had to put a button in the middle of a div so I didn't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> we were only moving the button to the left, as I was saying before. So it doesn't even matter. No, it didn't matter at all. No. no. I added some nice CSS. Just RMRF node modules and then install. It's worked every time so far. It's it's never stayed broken. Turn it off and then turn it back on again. It's the way of the computer scientist. Yes. Computer science men do yes. that. Yeah. yeah. It's very good. Yeah, it's always the first step. But uh, the other thing we had to talk about was, speaking of you know AWS having all this power and control and influence. Disgusting. Big tech companies. Hate them. We've said this before. A lot of power, a lot of influence. And yes. now Google is threatening to pull search out of Australia. And yes. I say bring it, yes. <laughs> Get out, Google. Oh my God. We what don't want you, you anyway. They'd never leave, I don't think so. Nah, it's, They'd leave for like a day. It's threats. Yeah, it's just threats. It's They did the same thing before. They said they'd, they'd leave as well. Yeah. Do you remember they had all those ads about like, oh, they're forcing us to pay for journalists or something? Yeah, that one. Yeah. So That's still ongoing. Is that, that's probably what that pop-up is. That's what it is. Yeah, it's been I don't on think the site all day. I haven't read yeah. it. I'm like, get out of the way. There's just a big yellow box on top there of is. The, the search bar, which is very frustrating. And it's funny because my brain ignored it for the first half of the morning. And then after a while, my brain's like, oh, that yellow box is probably about Google pushing its uh, propaganda, yeah. trying, to, trying to say why they shouldn't have to pay for the, the media outlets. It's incredible the amount of power that they have to be able to just put a box at the top to push their own agenda. Yeah, You think of it as like a utility, don't you? Like when you think about the internet, you think oh, I'll Google this. Yeah. And uh, you don't even think like this is, this is someone's company that is making money off of you that is using your search yeah. against you in a lot of ways. I think it, it's been programmed into me because I started using Google when it was in its infancy. And when you started using it, it felt like it was something free, like, that was your path into the internet, which was all, you know. Before that, it was like you had to know. Know where to go. You had to know at least one website to then click through the links. Get your friend to send you an email of all the sites that they yeah, like. all your favorite sites. <laughs> <laughs> Some might be a little bit questionable in those emails. <laughs> but Nothing would load back then. No. Do you remember the, the JPEGs or whatever the image format was would load like pixel by pixel, yeah, le yeah. top left to bottom right. Yeah. That was always fun. But because... Google, like, has been, I've been using it since those early days. You don't realize how much it's become part of your life. It's just, it's ingrained into the way you just do things. Yeah. I know some people that use other search services, but they all just seem like a facade for Google. One of the guys uh, that I used to work with was a big fan of DuckDuckGo. Yes. And I'm like, he told me, I think we spoke about it at lunch and he told me what it was all about. And I was on, like, I was on the bandwagon. I'm like, yes, this sounds amazing. And then I, I think I used it once and I'm like, nah, I don't like it. Went nah. straight back to Chrome. I don't know what features are missing though. What, what, what do you possibly do? Is it that it doesn't... It just doesn't look the I same. I feel like Google is more context aware of what my task is. Yeah. That's probably it. I feel like when I'm coding and I type in Java 
then it gives me like code examples. But yeah. then if I'm like on my phone, it'll give me like coffee. <laughs> so it's funny because you think I don't want Google to have any like knowledge of who I am and what I want to do. But then as soon as you don't get the exact search result in the first two or three answers, you're angry and you're like, no, this is no good. Yeah. Give me the service that knows exactly what I want. So then you just sign up for everything. Yeah. Take all my data. It's fine. <laughs> we, should, we want I everything right now. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, us millennials. Am I a millennial? What's a millennial? Yeah, I think I'm at the cutoff of millennials. Right. 83. 1983. Oh, right. So I'm a millennial. Yeah, you're, I don't know. Fuck. Are you? You might be... I don't know when the next generation starts. I'll just say I'm a millennial. The TikTokials? TikTokles. TikTokles. I've never, I've never had a, tic- a tickle account, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I'm not much of a social media man. Until now. Oh, that's right. Yes. Is this social media? This is very different. This Follow is us creation. on all our socials, everyone. Yes, that's right. Uh, sorry. Yes. I've actually just changed my mind on social media. Actually, you know what else we need? I was thinking the other day, we need a Patreon. We do need a Patreon. We'll get how all- How are people going to pay us? How is my mom going <laughs> to- Pay me for this episode I'm making just for her. You guys want us to keep going, please go give subscribe us some, to my Patreon. Go to our Patreon and give us a few donations. Literally any money would be great. It'll be in the uh, show notes. We should just do every single avenue of revenue possible for, that all the typical podcasters, content creators. We through. are. We decided to, didn't we? What T- did we decide today? T-shirts we need. Oh, that's right. We are going to make uh, T-shirts. Unruly software. We have to see if this logo pans out. You know, all Which this. Logo? I just made this like the unruly software and everything. I think that's great. Some people have told me it's disgusting. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Who are these people? Ban them from the Discord. Uh, yeah, server. they're not allowed on. <laughs> it's mostly just my girlfriend. <laughs> she's the only other listener. What does she know? Well, she's, you know, human resources, knows all about she's humans. probably just angry because you threw her credit card out. I'd be pissed Fuck. off you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that briefly. It's been eating me inside all day. Oh you've, come, you've come clean now on the podcast. It's fine. That's right. She, she might listen to this. I don't know. Does she like technology? Probably not. She said she'd go to Coder Academy. She likes you. She likes me. Apparently so. But that's because we're like opposite people. Yeah. Yeah. Yin and yang. She's very hyper. I'm just boring. <laughs> I, I literally don't talk about anything with excitement other than probably software you only need one thing to keep you busy I know what I'm into <laughs> that's what matters but we also decided in terms of revenue we're gonna make a course aren't we yeah we are yeah that was my segue by the way yeah great job is that a good one that's your first and your best I've never made a segue before I think you're doing great I've ridden a segue before <laughs> Did I break the segue? <laughs> okay, pull it back. We're making a course, right, Frank? Yeah, what's the course going to be? Well, we've been talking about it. We've, I feel like we, the whole JavaScript community is very fresh in a lot of ways. Mm. It's not an extremely mature. I'll probably, you build the course and I'll probably pay for it. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I think it would be good if, if I write down some instructional material yeah. and then we do it together probably. Well, yeah. Like we go through the course and you're there while we teach the course. Yeah, you can even have an informal. There's never been a dual course. Yeah. Learner and learnee. Yeah. Navigator driver. And then the person learning can associate with the person learning something. I think, I'll, I, think I like this. Yeah. It's, I, think, I think it'll be okay. Mm. So I, I'm, the thing that I'm thinking is the most useful is testing. Learning how to test something inside of JavaScript is a weird world. Mm. There's not much information. There's a, actually, there is a lot of information, but I, with, I, I've, I've used almost every uh, 
JavaScript educational subscription service. Yeah. And I've paid for a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, and I've paid for what the O'Reilly uh, subscription service. All of the testing books essentially go through what principles are there, yeah. which is good. That's fantastic. Everyone has to know the test, like principles pyramid. of testing. Mm. Yes, the testing pyramid. Mm. That's very conceited odds of you. Mm. I love it. <laughs> and, uh, but there's not really any practical examples. Like I, I was no. looking up how to test serverless, for example. I okay. wanted to see if someone had a library that would just solve my problem. Yeah. Like just start serverless so I can run integration tests against it or even just fake the integration. Yeah. No one's built it. Mm. I had to come up with it on my own. It feels weird when you are in the JavaScript community and you want to do something and there's no library for it. You're like... That's all we know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I want to do something. What's the best library? Just go to Google. Best library for... I think I started like that, but I've just given up on that because there is definitely no way you're going to find a library for anything like decent related to testing, I think. There's like testing... It's like you said, There's you, everyone's got the principles down pat, but then the implementations, everyone's got it a lot different ideas on what the implementations should be. I think it's because people don't do as much testing in this community, mm. not to judge anyone. I'm sure that there are a lot of companies that do, but they probably just like us, they have the ways that they've learned and are stuck on my laptop and on our private GitHub server. Yeah. I don't see very many well integration tested uh, JavaScript services anywhere mm. that actually spin up a server or, or imitate spinning up a server, issue requests and then validate security and actual data pass through straight to the database. But uh, one thing I, one observation, you know, you know, I, you know, I like my observations. Observation Lord. Yeah. So yeah. JavaScript, I feel like is a language which has started to mature a lot in the last few years in terms of TypeScript being statically typed and improvements in testing and it's, it's like the life cycle of the language. Maybe a few years back, people didn't treat JavaScript as a serious programming language. And then as it started to get more and more momentum and then Node came out, a lot of these issues that have been solved already with your Javas and your um, traditional kind your of rubies. Your rubies, where they've already been there and they've done that and they've solved all these problems hasn't happened yet in the JavaScript ecosystem. Are you saying we're early adopters? So what I'm saying is... It's like the most used language on the planet. All we need is Ruby on Rails in JavaScript. I know that's what you want. That is definitely what I want. A monolith. It does not exist. Uh, but it feels like that's the way it's going. Yeah. Don't you reckon? I think like, we're all learning what's going to work in the language. Everyone's like says, oh, we need microservices. So that, like there's been a big push for that. But now I'm seeing a lot more people saying, no, we need... A mono repo, like bring everything back together. And it's starting to look a lot more like Ruby on Rails. Yes. Well, there's no framework quite like it. There's what sales. I don't think that actually solves the same problems. No. And they're also the advantage of Rails is how mature it is. Yeah. It, it has such a big community and it's been used to build so many products that it is battle tested. Mm. Like there will not be an edge case that you come across. I don't think I ever had an edge case that I came across in Ruby or in specifically using the Rails framework that I couldn't solve somehow. Yep. They have designed an exit hatch for everything. Mm. If you cannot get that SQL to work, you don't have to like go into the driver. You just write a scope and you know there's a little bit of knowledge that you have to have of the Rails magic. 
but uh, you can drop down as low as you want and as high as you want. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone got behind Ruby on Rails. Yeah. Well, like it, it JavaScript lets you is so, so quickly. JavaScript is so disparate in the way, like even you got three front end frameworks now, like Svelte came out, you got a fourth front end framework, like no one can I think agree there's on more than that. There's like a million. There's probably a thousand. I mean, like, like that's the only main thinking ones, the big ones. That's like that's thinking, the main ones, yeah, yeah, it's like React, Angular, Vue. And then Svelte. And there's then way more than that. Ember. We're definitely, yeah. Well, there's even those ones. There's those big, uh, like, uh, enterprise level ones as well. Yeah. So no one can agree on which one to use. Or how to do it. But, but like, like Rails, everyone was like, okay, Rails, that's Ruby, the best Ruby, you're doing Rails or you're doing Sinatra and it's like that's just it. a server. Yeah. yeah. And then so... You've got the the community all working with one common interest. Yeah. Which we haven't gotten. We need to unite the tribes, Frank. I don't think it's going to happen. No, it's not going to (laughs) happen. We can just do the best that we can. But maybe having uh, different tribes is actually better because then you get new and different ways of approaching problems. When we're trying to solve problems in the real world, the best thing to do is try and come up with new ways of solving those problems. Mm. That was a joke. That no, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we've like come any further. Like, <clears throat> who? Oh, there's another throat clear. Yeah. The uh, that's a fine. That's twenty five dollars. Sorry. The um, like we've not come any further. What are we doing? We're serving HTTP re- responses. Yes. To HTTP requests. Yep. Formatted in JSON. Yep. Like we figured out JSON versus XML. That's good. Mm. We figured out gRPC, that's not really just the JavaScript ecosystem. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the, um, the development that I see in JavaScript in, ter- in terms of frameworks is sideways, mm. not necessarily forwards. It's like you're building the same thing, but oh, I'd like a slightly separate API. So does it just keep moving sideways until no code builders just take over and there's no more front-end frameworks. Well, there's so many developers that are so expensive that people are like, well, shit, I can't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. Well, it doesn't make business sense for some size of businesses to yeah. have a development team. We'll see. I, I don't know if that's possible. Well, uh, anyway, I, no coding is another subject that you know I've what I mean? Like those, horrific, those but. Like your web flows or I've seen, like Amazon's got that service now called Honey. Honey. Honey, honey something. Honey something. Honeypot. Honeypot. catching security. I don't know what intruders. I don't know where the name comes from. But it's it's for building apps, web yeah. apps, and they give you like a building tool, like Webflow. Yeah. It's like a toolkit and you can drag and drop inputs and fields and it automatically links them to a database and so it's all right for internal tools, but yeah, those, only those takes so far. Work. Yeah. You end up hitting a brick wall quite quickly. And it's the same thing like you move quickly right in the beginning. If all you're doing is you need a button to turn on and off a server, that sounds fantastic. But if you're building the admin dashboard for your entire company of 500 people, I don't think it's going to, it's not going to pan out well for you. No. So it comes back to what you said originally, choose the right tools. For the job. For the job. Yeah. If the project is not going to have a long life cycle, maybe you just need to. Just hack it together. Just, hack it just together. use plain HTML even script tag in the top of an index.html. Think about okay. how many apps could be replaced. Okay. Yeah. I take issue with that. Shoot me. I tried to use the HTML <laughs> input file type. Input file type. So HTML input element. Yeah. With a type of file. Yes. It looks horrible. 
You can't use it with a modern application. It's not about a modern application. But why I, I just okay, mean like it, a, a, if you're making like an internal tool or something or a simple like... But this is my thing. Yeah. HTML5 is the bare bones. I would love to just be able to use that, but I can't. I had to like hide that element, put another element... And On then, top of it. Yeah, and then make a ref which like linked pointed to, to that pointed to the, the, yeah, original, the actual input and then style it with CSS. Are you talking about our task, our e-sign task? I am actually. Oh yeah. Well, but that's, you've seen what I had to do. That's part there. of our, that's we're building a large application. But what I'm saying say is HTML5 is the foundation. It yeah. should, it should have the ability it should be stronger. It should be stronger than that. Like who yeah. doesn't want to style their inputs these days? I'm sure they had their reasons, but yeah. That, that is true. It's the same thing. A lot of the select libraries, um, you've seen like React Select. All of yeah. those tools that yeah. make actually decent looking selects yeah. are all, they have accessibility issues, I believe. Yeah. Um, or at least they did. Maybe they've solved a lot of them now. I'm sure Chrome has iterated and helped them get up to spec. But they actually hide the select and then just replace it with a div. Like when you click yeah. the select, it's actually opening a div below it with lines. Yeah. Hmm. Unacceptable. It's not ideal, no. but uh, the, the file picker, I believe is like the display of it is based on the, on the browser itself. Yeah. Much like, you know, the date input, date inputs in okay. HTML. Can yes. I just say oh, one thing? No. Yeah, please. All right. Joseph done a pull request the other day and there was a date picker in there yeah. and I clicked it. I'm like, oh wow, this is a pretty good date picker. Like, yeah. I wasn't blown away, but I'm like. This is pretty good. I wonder how he it's done very it. Very pretty. How and did he was, code this? It was just the HTML5 yeah. date picker. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, HTML5. <laughs> okay, fine. You got one thing right. Internet Explorer is, you know, it's not going to do too well. But, uh, you know, Chrome, it's quite pretty. Yeah, Firefox pretty. as well. It was good. It was, it was Those things good. are left like, to... Yeah. It didn't look like a sore thumb. You remember the... Um, I don't... I don't know if it still does this. I don't have an iPhone. I have a, a Pixel. Yeah. But uh, you know how like when you would click an input, it would give you like that scrolling yeah. wheel. Does yeah. it still do that on iPhones when you click like a, um, a a range or a select? I don't think many people use that anymore. I haven't come across so one in a while. But that's not that's not like that's literally just their Safari version of the select input. Yeah, that's right. So they had the universal like across all of their applications. Yeah. You'd have this scroller, which was very nice. Yeah. Very yeah. uniform, even in websites. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if they do that anymore. And I remember that the sites that tried to be too fancy and they do that replace the div thing mm. and they weren't, they, maybe they implemented it themselves, but it would like pop open the div and then you'd have to like use your big fat fingers to like tap oh, the select no. input that you yeah, want. Yeah, that's horrible. It was horrific. And your yeah. fingers aren't even that fat. No, well not, they've gotten fatter. I've gained a bit of weight since the COVIDs, but... Like a good program. Like, you, like any, I'm starting to, you know, I'm getting to be to Kyle Simpson, you know? Yeah. My you hero, work on my the, role model. On the facial hair, but you're, yeah. on, you're on the way. The well, I did try. Good. I shaved all the facial hair off because I was so disappointed that I'm not Kyle Simpson yet. <laughs> who, who is your number one hero in development? Who is your, who are your uh, coding I really heroes? put anyone on a pedestal like that. Oh, I see. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Although, <laughs> okay, I, if you talk about whoever I read the most content from, it's Ken C. Dodds, but I don't know if that's just because he's got the most content out there. He does have heaps. He's got heaps. But, um, but uh, we're mid-podcast, but someone's... Uh, just walked in the room. Someone's walked in the room. No, it's fine. <laughs> we're not upset or anything. 
this is the God bless them. joys of working in a co-working space. Yes. This is startup it's life. It's an agile environment. It's an agile environment. <laughs> but can see Dodds. Yes. That's who I see the most from. But who else is there? I don't know. I've got a lot of uh, people I follow on Twitter who just seem to post random cool stuff. Cool stuff. Who do I follow on Twitter? I think I can give you a full list of mine. You follow all the OGs. Martin Fowler. I love Martin Fowler. Uh, Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. He's fantastic. Uh, you're not allowed to say that anymore. He's, he's a bit of a, a hot topic. Oh, why? What happened? Uh, he has some political views, apparently, that people don't like. Oh. I think he was like for Trump or something, and that made him unacceptable to everyone. Oh, yep. But uh, I don't really follow these people for their politics. So. Well, we want to build good code. Yeah. I'm going to listen to something about politics if I want to hear that, not, yeah. not Uncle Bob. I didn't even realize. Yeah, sometimes software development does get political. Yeah. What are, what are, what are the other ones? Uh, Andy Thompson, I think. Who's he? He, uh, he? One of the authors of The Pragmatic Programmer. Oh, yeah. Favorite book of all time. That is a great book. I haven't read it. Kyle Simpson in terms of JavaScript, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Without him, I think I would be very, very bad at JavaScript. Mm. But thanks to him. You've I, even got his books. Everyone. Not, a, not just the online version. The I've listened real to real life physical one. All of his front end master's courses about three years ago, I listened to. Mm. All fantastic. They go through everything from like what the, proto, like the prototype chain in JavaScript is down to uh, the scope of variables and functions and hoisting. A lot of people don't get hoisting. It's very, very unfortunate. And these are all things that I really think are important to understanding the language. A lot of bugs I've seen have been to, due to not understanding how that sort of stuff works. I know he uh, is a, a big advocate to explain how VAR works. I've seen a lot of posts where people are like, no, VAR, don't use VAR. Never like, use VAR. Never use VAR. I and then he, hate those. And then he's, and then he's always one person who always speaks up and goes, well, no, you can use in these circumstances, in these circumstances, literally everything in JavaScript that I, that's one thing I really don't like people who do not completely understand the language. And I'm not saying you have to completely understand the language to use JavaScript. They come up with these rules that they apply, which is like only use triple equals. And that's like, that's by default in ESLint. But coercion is actually an interesting and useful feature yeah. of the language yeah. for a couple different use cases. Like um, if you're checking whether something exists, you know, there's null and undefined. Yeah. Yes, of course. Everyone knows that there's null and undefined mm. in JavaScript. Mm. If you want to know whether or not something is there, essentially, mm. you can just do double equals null and that will return whether or not the object like exists, oh, okay. which is extremely useful. Mm. But if you follow all of these default ESLint rules yep. and you listen to Ken C. Dodd's Yeah, well, I'm guilty of that because what happens with me is I want to deliver value as fast as possible. And I realize I don't know everything yet. So I have to lean on the knowledge of the people who have been there and done it before me. So when people say, like, just use let all the time, I always read it to a certain extent, and then I'll come across reasons why people say, no, var, you can use it. But I always use let because I think to myself, I don't have the time at the moment. Like, is my time best spent working out 
the edge case where VAR is still usable or is my time best spent working on other aspects of my code where I know there's a lot more holes. Do you know what I mean? I do think that uh, it is a little bit, uh, it's not a, an elitist statement that I'm trying to make. It's more that, uh, you know how a lot of the, a lot of the, and then I, I notice some of the content that you read uh, and that most people I know read is based on a framework. Like yeah. they will spend two hours a day reading documentation about React yeah. or looking up how to do things in React. Yeah. But it's, it's the same thing. I don't know if you've been on Stack Overflow and they look up, and you look up like anything about JavaScript. Yep. Like the, the first answer is how to do this with jQuery yep. if it's from before like 2015, yep. right? Yep. Because everyone was like so focused on that framework. Yep. But most of those solutions are solvable in vanilla JavaScript yep. before ES5. Yep. But if you only focus on the sort of content that is based on frameworks, then you end up with a very shallow level of knowledge. Every time there's like a change, you want to change, change the framework that you work with. You want to change jobs. You have to relearn all this stuff mm. and you're only learning how to do X in framework Y. Mm. But the most important thing is understanding the language because it's a lot more powerful than the frameworks are. The frameworks are just packaged up JavaScript. Mm. So I think if you took the time that instead of learning about the hottest stuff from, for most people, I think you'd probably get more benefit out of reading one of Kyle Simpson's books. You got to do a bit of everything. You do have to do a bit of everything. You got to be a well-rounded individual. As round as possible, like <laughs> myself getting rounder by the day. I just had a Milky Way bar and I have two beers here. So I'm on my way to being super round. <laughs> well, it is Friday afternoon and we've done a lot of great work this week. You got to, you know, Give yourself a pat on the back for That's all, right. all the beautiful stuff. Get a bit more round. Get a bit more round. That's yeah. what I do. Frank's going to the gym, though. Very disappointing. Yeah, I try to be a well-rounded individual in my on the coding, biceps, <laughs> on the, in my coding and in my lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's Andy Hunt. Did I say Andy Hunt? Yeah, that's that's the person I'm thinking of. Oh, DHH is pretty good. Andy DHH. Hunt is the co. He's the Ruby guy. He retweeted one of my tweets about Vim. Who? Andy Hunt, very famous man. Okay, so who is he? Sorry, I didn't hear. Pragmatic programmer. Oh, guy. okay. I was just browsing my Twitter followers. Sure. And Your followers? No, who you follow? No, Andy Hunt follows me. What? Does he? Let me check. He retweeted me. Does that mean he followed me? <laughs> no, this is my, these are my followers. Or the opposite. Look, I don't do social media, <laughs> all right? I made that clear in the beginning. <laughs> Eric Elliott, have you, have you heard of him? No. He's a big fan of like functional JavaScript. He, okay. he, he has a, a lot of series that, uh, that go through that, that sort of thing. I think, think TypeScript lends itself more to class-based JavaScript now. Slightly object-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. I Which think is so. better for the back end, but I feel like on the front end, I'm not getting any of the benefits of writing classes. But the, type, the types and the interface is definitely helpful. It's probably, I, I think that's more of a factor of not having worked somewhere where they had a good object-oriented front-end, though. Mm. It's entirely possible. Object What's it look like? I only know React land. Well, something like Angular would like start out more oh, in, a, yeah. in a more object-oriented way. You'd be passing around objects and you'd be uh, injecting services and you'd be making, like your state wouldn't be managed by the, uh, like the, the components themselves. They'd be managed externally, which I think makes a much cleaner division of concerns. Yeah. But um, the... Uh, yeah, 
anyway. But it, it's interesting that um, Svelte has come up a little bit in the ranks because I was just reading the uh, state of JavaScript 2020. Oh, well, I, I don't even know anything about Svelte. It's a survey. Have you heard of state of J- JS? Svelte's a survey. State of JS. <laughs> Sorry, the state of JS. Is this the um, is this uh, Stack Overflow's um, thing? Oh, I don't know who oh, it's runs State it. of JS, isn't state it? State of JS. I don't yeah, know. Who no, runs I don't it. know what that is. It's just like a survey of all the of JavaScript developers from all over the world. Where was my invite? I'm sure it was an open invite. I'm a developer in the world. You're not following the right people on Twitter, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But is this just like <laughs> Kenzie Dodds put a poll on Twitter and, <laughs> and that's I don't the know who's behind it, but um, it's very scientific. It's just like it's very, uh, it's very. How do I put it? I feel like the best, a lot of the ways that people like to relate to JavaScript is by what technologies you're using within JavaScript. So it's just like a large survey of. What framework do you use for this? Today, what, what, which framework are you using today? Yeah, what yeah. framework are you interested in? How do you manage your state? How do you manage your CSS? Yeah. How do you manage your data fetching? Which hot shit library are you using Yeah, this which week? library yeah. do you use for this? Which library do you use for that? But it's interesting because it shows you the trends. Like last year, they asked questions like, um, say for example, TypeScript. They yeah. asked last year, uh, are you interested in learning it? Have you learnt it? Or you've learnt it and you wouldn't reuse it? And so last year, there was a lot of people who were interested in learning it, but hadn't learnt it. And then this year, there was like a lot of people who've adopted it now and will use it again. So like you can see these upward trends in certain things. It's addictive. You TypeScript or? Yeah, TypeScript. Or not, working not, out which library The state of JS following, I can't following stop reference. answering it. Every time I answer it, I just do it again. It's not very scientific. No. Uh, but TypeScript, you, like everyone I know who, who used it once uses it forever. Mm. I, we, were, we looked at a JavaScript code base today. Yeah. And uh, you can't read it. Like all I have to trust that these variables are what they are is the name. Yeah, Who knows? I feel uh, I feel naked with just normal JS. Absolutely true. I need a little bit. I don't of like being naked. I'm very round as well. <laughs> so showing all off our imperfections. Yeah, I like, like to keep the f- perfections out only. We need a few. Uh, what do you call it? Corsets holding us in the right Corsets, place. Yeah. Corsets, yeah. yeah. For our TypeScript, our, no, our JavaScript Probably on Saturday night. TypeScript is our corset. Yeah, it makes us very pretty. Yes. Yeah. All the code is prettier now. Yes. And then um, one of the other things they were talking about was Svelte. So there's like a small uptick in people interested in Svelte. I don't know what the appeal of it is yet, but I think it's very easy to, imp- to use a little bit of Svelte maybe. Have you looked at it? Did you look at examples or anything? Or? I did, but uh, to be honest, I can't recall off the top of my head. Mm. Um, it, it, I, it, I could be entirely wrong because I've only read the examples. I wasn't prepared for this topic, so I'm just going to talk some shit here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, um, I think it's like the components for Svelte are um, like, you remember Vue? Yeah. How they had, like, they divided into a script section, yeah. a styles section, mm. and a, a markup section. I believe yeah. they do the same thing. Uh, yeah. And then it looks very simple. Yep. like in terms of what the document reads as, but they're all very simple examples. Mm. So maybe 
maybe it's the sort of thing. So someone on the Bike Shed podcast, I can't remember the, the male host's name. My favorite podcast of all time, actually. I'll just mention that one more time. Second favorite. Oh, right. That, this one is, the, this is my best favorite one. I'm on this one, actually. So I forgot that. I thought we were just talking again. But uh, the, the Bike Shed guy uses it with um, Rails, I think. Oh, yeah. As like the, the drop-in, we only need a small bit of functionality. That's what I think it's good for. Yeah. So you can do everything server-side with HTML. Yeah. And then when you need the, that one tiny thing to animate, you just use Svelte, mm. which sounds fantastic to me. Mm. I quite like it. I like it too. If I could get more like server, just not server-side rendering like uh, React, but just serving HTML, that'd be fantastic. But it's like... It's the exact point that you made before where I've learned so much time spent learning React. I've only worked with React. Now I'm like attached to the framework a little bit if I have to. Yeah. If like, I probably wouldn't work anywhere that didn't have React. Yeah, which it'd is a be bit, tough. It, it's like a bit sad. I oh, know I wouldn't be well, as Well, it depends productive. on what your objectives are, right? Yeah. So, so for me, like, I, I'm, I'm pushing my objective, which is I probably want to do programming for like, I don't know, like 20 years or something yeah. more than likely. So if I'm doing 20 years of JavaScript programming, if that's the path we're heading down, God forbid, yeah. then uh, you have to learn the language itself. That's true. If your objective is to build products and then retire to, um, to Malibu, is Malibu a ni nice place that you retire to? It's lovely. It's a lovely place. Then yeah, I would agree. If you want to be Elon Musk, mm. then don't learn... JavaScript. Well, he's got early access to neural links, so he can just... He can brain program he it. Can, he can brain program it. A lot of he people... He just thinks about what he wants the front end to do. And, and it does. And it'll do it. Wow. That's why SpaceX is doing so well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We have to talk about SpaceX a lot, actually. Well, I'm going to end up bringing space into this at some it's point. It's in an upcoming episode. We're not going to do it today. I watched... Uh, no, don't. Okay, <laughs> you right. can't open this subject. <laughs> you don't realize. Hold it. I did watch a movie about space the other day. Uh, I made you play Kerbal Space Program. Oh, or, that's right. Uh, was that my birthday? Or? We pair we pair gamed? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, I explained to you. I was controlling. Apoapsis and periapsis and. Yeah, I was controlling and you were just like. Delta velocity. Add the coupling to the rocket. Now added this to the rocket. I love rambling. <laughs> I love rambling about space as well. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah, you got quite passionate about it. That's the only thing software? I've seen you're actually interested in besides software. That's true, actually. Mm. Yeah, that, that's very true. But getting back to state of JS, there's a there were, what, what was the other thing? GraphQL, I think. Are people picking that up and well, liking it? It's kind of like I feel like it would be the opposite of TypeScript. It's flattened a little bit, so it is it is the opposite of TypeScript. It would be people use it and they're like, "Fuck, this is way worse than I expected," because I've used it before. Yeah, I've used it as well, but I haven't used it with TypeScript, and that would be interesting, I think. But I know there was, when I started to use it, there was, they've probably solved this problem now, but we had an issue where we had to type our GraphQL schema, but then we had to type a TypeScript schema as well. No, that's not necessary. Not anymore? No. Okay. There's libraries that fix that. Okay. Yeah. All those sort of like uh, tool inco incompatibilities. I think it's relatively easy to even write your own like generators from GraphQL. Sure. Yeah. Mm. But um, 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of companies are going to start using it. And just like at another company I worked at, essentially fail hard because they bet hard on GraphQL in the beginning. Yeah. Because the promises and the big companies say that it's fantastic. Mm. And then the little company tries it out. It's fantastic when you're in local dev. Yep. Like it feels great. You have the little window pop open. You can interactively type your query. Yeah. You always get the data that you expect to get. It's always typed. Yeah. But uh, being able to query anything in your application. It comes at a cost. It comes at a massive cost of performance. Mm. And what you end up with are these apps that, and you can see it, if you find an app that has a GraphQL endpoint, you'll notice that the GraphQL endpoints typically end up being the slowest, especially in these like, dynamic platforms. The thing I like about a RESTful API is say, for example, me and you, and I say, James, I need this data in a certain format. Can you make me an endpoint to get that, please? You will make the endpoint and you will optimize the endpoint for the data that needs to be returned. For the performance of that data to be returned. If yeah. on the other hand, it's a GraphQL endpoint and there's, I'm asking for some arbitrary piece of data, maybe the resolver to get these two, maybe they're from two different data sources or data it points. It could be a the, remote data source, for yeah, example. Or maybe there's a massive join that needs to happen in the database for it to get out. Yeah. But. And you pick that field, I which pick the ruins me. I, yeah. I could pick like one field unnecessarily and just, demolish the speed of the request uh, as an example so a lot of people I feel start with GraphQL and don't realize you have you have to start with good engineering principles in the beginning mm. you have to batch resolve everything if you don't you will get to a point where you can't go back mm. like it's part of the design of your schema I think mm. but uh, we what had do you mean batch resolve like if you want to get a user out of the database like all the user fields get yeah. Okay. So in, in batch resolving, GraphQL is probably the most important thing if you're like using a SQL database or something and it's like all of your data isn't just in a document. Batch resolving is I am, let's say I am the owner of this company and I want to get all of the employees of my company. Yeah. You would have uh, owner bracket and then uh, users colon bracket and then there's the the edges and nodes and then inside of that you would pick um, the ID for example in order to get those fields if you have a naive implementation of GraphQL every single one of the users underneath that object will require a, like a SQL lookup mm. this is I used uh, GraphQL Ruby for this project um, I inherited that when I was working on it mm. but uh, when when we would run that we would end up I remember even in testing, we had a we had a company that had every time you got the dashboard of this this website, you would get twelve thousand SQL requests, and it would take something like twenty to thirty seconds to finish that request. And people just thought the website had died because nothing takes twenty to thirty seconds yeah, to load. Course, yeah. And if it had started from rest we would have been able to optimize it much better. We used Relay. So it was getting every, re, Relay like batches your GraphQL queries all up into one big query and then slams it down the, the, the back end, yep. essentially. Mm. And uh, that ended up, I would say that destroyed that company. Yeah. Yeah. More than anything. Mm. Uh, what could have been a good product, uh, yeah, it did not succeed thanks That's to GraphQL. That's my only hesitation around GraphQL. And once you go down that path, 
uh, I don't know. I just how do you get back? Yeah, I see like rest. You're tied right into GraphQL when you start using. Yeah, it. whereas if you use REST, you got way more flexibility. You get tied into the framework as well. How do you write? Obviously, it's possible, but how do you write a clean encapsulation of like data fetching if you're using GraphQL? You normally like if you use Relay or something, you're dragging your fragments, which are small queries around with you everywhere, yep. which end up meaning that every part of your application could be fetching data and you have no idea. Mm. Like all you know is that at the end of the day, you've got like a, a 12,000 line long GraphQL statement. Yeah. And it's because like the avatars are on your, on your like table, t- table, table <laughs> are all fetching all of their related data unknowingly. But, but then you even need to do the optimizations. Like I think they're, uh, Apollo's got some kind of dash. My dog. Not your dog. Oh, sorry. Apollo is my Apollo dog's Apollo GraphQL. <laughs> I've not used Apollo. I've, I've read the API docs. That's it. I'm pretty sure they've got a service. I don't know if it's still around. This was a while ago. But uh, you could log in and see how your queries were running and if there's any ways to optimize them, which were your slowest queries, which are your fastest queries. Yeah. So you've always got to do these performance optimizations. Constantly. Whereas if you start at a point of this endpoint handles this data, yeah. it's much easier to just write the efficient. You could write the efficient code right up front or you could just slam the, like there's a couple things where I'm like, uh, it would be a slightly more complex task for me to write the SQL for this. Mm. It'd be less communicative, but until it's actually an issue, I'm just going to like hack it and perform the 15 SQL queries that I need, yeah. which is an option, but it's not really an option in GraphQL. And it'll be easy. Like we'll look at the um, APM, like the metrics, and we'll be able to see this endpoint is taking six seconds to return, which is too long, way too long. So there we go. That's something to op- optimize. But until we need it, and, and yeah, it's a nightmare. Don't use GraphQL. You heard it here first. That's our new tagline. Don't use GraphQL. <laughs> if you if you well, know enough to, to disagree J- with me, then don't use GraphQL. <laughs> that's why state of <laughs> JS, you it. can see there's a slight downward trend in GraphQL. I think people I are think starting people to realize this. pretty fucked over it. Whereas TypeScript people were a bit you reluctant can't get to fucked start. On TypeScript. No. Yeah. Even if you use it really poorly, it's still a benefit. There was a, the other, the only other thing is like, how do you do your CSS in uh, JavaScript? And um, I just love Chakra. We use Chakra. I do, I do, I do like it, but I also hate it. It's the agile way. Yeah. But uh, when I started doing CSS, we had the what BIM and the atomic styles, yeah. and I really love handwriting CSS. I just. I miss how you'd make those nice folders and you'd I have always, your little table. I, I think it's funny, but whenever you like roll over and you like watch me writing CSS and you're like, or you, we're discussing it as a group and you're like, oh yeah, that's float right and that's float left. And I'm like, James. A float. Who the fuck does float like, these days? <laughs> what year get, are you Get from? over there, get to the back end. <laughs> I, look, I'm, a, I'm a full stack developer, all right? <laughs> I can make pretty UIs. I implemented hey, still works. beautiful drag and drop. Yeah. I can tell you, I reach right for that library. <laughs> yeah. But Chakra Mint, I, I think um, it does definitely work and it works on everything. Mm. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about Chakra is how it generates the CSS at runtime. What does it do? Well, it's, it doesn't load your styles until JavaScript loads. So you... They certainly must have a, um, a server-side rendering plugin or something, right? So they're working on it. Oh, shit. Atlassian's got 
this new open source library that came out where it generates, I think I told you about it, it generates all the CSS at compile time. So it's still um, CSS in JS. But then when you do your build, it creates a CSS style sheet. Mm. So then you got all, you don't have to wait on the front end for your CSS to, yeah. to load. That would be ideal. Yeah. Because we have a, we, we have a, pro, a product and a product like marketing page. Yeah. One of them that would be impactful on the marketing page. We yeah. don't really care about it on the Well, that's what made me realize platform. that um, when, it, when we done, the marketing page is just Gatsby. It's a static site. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I'll just use Chakra because we've been using it, so why not? Yeah, then everything's the same. Everything's ideal. the same. But then afterwards, when it wasn't loading as fast, I was a little bit disappointed. I'm like, oh, that's a bit sad. Yeah. I've, I've either got to wait until Chakra does this change. They've got, it, they've got an open RFC for it yeah. in the Chakra GitHub. If one of our Patreon subscribers, a.k.a. my mother, could help them with that, that'd be great. <laughs> I... um. I still think the only good CSS and JS framework, is it a framework or is it a library? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> so flippant. <laughs> Have you tried styled components? I think that's top tier. Is it? Yeah. The, the, the tagged template literals? Yeah. Very nice, I think. Yeah. It makes for very expressive styles, mm. I think, as well. And you get all the power of being able to use JavaScript functions. Oh, so it's, it's not really a framework though. It's more of a library because yeah. you, but that one does have like a static rendering built in. So if you want to SEO optimize, oh, does it? You, you use that, but it's oh. it, like, so I think they're different tools. We're, we're talking about different tools. Like yeah. Chakra is like a combination of different libraries yeah. in order to allow you to build UIs quickly. Yeah. Styled components is like a low level sort of. Yeah. Frame, like framework yeah yeah it only lets you write the styles it doesn't come with like chakra is like you need what you need a select we've got a select yeah. you want a button we've got a button yeah. and then you just slightly customize it for yeah. your, your customization super easy in chakra it is yeah so you can you get all the benefits of having these pre-built components but they look like your own components it'd be nice to be able to the only other thing with chakra is that it'd be nice if you could um Maybe it's possible. This is, maybe this is a question to you. Yeah. The, the thing that I'd like to be able to do, I, I'd want to be able to write my own custom components and have them use the same API externally in terms of props. So you know how like BG is background mm. in the Chakra mm. component props, like that sort of thing. I, ideally, that would be my, the way that I would write components. Is that possible oh, yeah. with Chakra? Can you like wrap it with something that like injects those styles? You can set, they've got these... I've got a prop called variant yeah, and you can just pass a string and then in your theme, you can set all the CSS settings for that specific variant. So that's how we do our buttons. So we've got like a variant for like- But what if I have a different component that's not in it? So for example, I was going to do the other Mm. button Mm. and they don't necessarily- Maybe this isn't a great example, but some component, let's imagine there's an in, like a component that doesn't exist in Chakra, but I still wanted to take all the same styling props. Is that possible? Have you seen that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, all right. I you can definitely it. do it, everyone. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> everyone get on Chakra. There's no point being on anything else. In fact, I'm going to start using Chakra on the back end. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Did you hear that? Is that the exit music? I don't know, is that maybe something's happening? Is someone speaking to me through music? (laughs) 
It's very jamming, this music. It is jamming, yeah. Feel free to just chill out, jam to it. This is the outro, but... We're doing the outro. We're doing the outro right now. This was a great show. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I love the new setup. The new setup's great. I feel very juicy in this setup. That's not the right term. Yes, I sound juicy. (laughs) My body also feels very juicy. You did say your moustache was a bit moist the other day, but we won't get it. All right, thanks. All right, see you. (laughs) Goodbye. And then just hit the laugh track. That's not the... Wait, stop that one. Very good. Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) Love you. Bye. All right. All right, cut the the tape. Have you cut it yet?